You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of ST Times. Hello, everyone. With me today is Patrick Darty. He's a CTO and co-founder of a company called Rasco, and we'll be hearing about that a little bit later on. Uh, the topic today is why every company needs a chief AI officer. So, uh, Patrick, thanks for being with us here today. Appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So why does every company need a chief AI officer or do they? Well, it's, I think you could argue that the chief information officer's job is is you just add an A in front of that, that CIO, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that the two are going to become completely conflated in a, in a good way. Um, it's it, You can't run IT anymore without the concept of how are you infusing AI into your data, your applications, your systems, and even your infrastructure. So I believe it'll turn out that uh, if I'm the CIO, I actually would, would prefer to, to get that extra A in front of the, the I. Um, I think that's that's good for everyone. So that's probably the way it'll go, but um, let's let's see. I also think uh, it's interesting to, to look at it in context of the chief data officer, right? Because that was a, a wave for a while, I would say, and, and sort of has caught on uh, a bit. A lot of companies have one, but a lot of companies still don't. So it, um, if you don't want it to go that way, I wouldn't necessarily create it as another C-suite title. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So uh, one of the one of the common uh, things that we're, we're hearing a lot of discussion about, of course, is, you know, is AI going to replace human workers? And, you know, it's interesting. So you hear the argument from people uh, in, in the AI camp saying, well, no, it'll just it'll be a higher level work that people will do. And, you know, we're just removing rote uh, tasks that they won't have to deal with anymore so they can focus on the bigger picture. And, I, you know, I look at the auto industry when they introduced robots on the uh, on the floor of the assembly line. And, yeah, you needed people to run the robots, but maybe you needed two or three and not the hundreds of people who were actually assembling the cars. Do you think that that's kind of the fate for IT that, you know, we're told that jobs will not be gone? But in fact, look, jobs will be gone already. We see chat GBT replacing marketing writers and and other people. I mean, uh, how can we not be losing jobs from this? 100%. I, I think the um, there will be a reallocation of jobs across enterprises. Um, some enterprises uh, through this wave may not even survive kind of the the AI um, becoming a new way to do business. But specifically within organizations, I think I think this one will be interesting because IT could actually become a bigger uh, job center for the organization because the cost of building software is going to go effectively to zero over time, right? One thing that AI is extremely good at is building software because uh, uh, the internet contains years and years of discourse of how to write code. Sure. So that coming into play means that um, like tasks that might have lived outside of IT in the past that needed a special business function under the CFO or the CMO, that could get subsumed into IT as a custom application. Um, and to your point, it may not require 20 people to build that application anymore. It might be one or two people to build and maintain it. But that would certainly rebalance kind of the headcount allocation um, within the company. And But yes, to your point also, 
have a probably net negative, um, you know, total consequence on on headcount um, because the efficiencies are just too obvious to ignore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that raises the question that I always ask as AI advances, and I've been asking from the beginning, it's like, it's wonderful that we have the, the ability to create these things, but should we be creating these things? I mean, is the cost to the, the people part of things, is it, is it too high? Or, uh, you know, are the people who are creating AI saying, well, it's okay, you know, we'll find something else for people to do. Uh, you know, I, how, do, how do you balance that? Right. Well, I think so. We, there's a lot of conflation of AI and AGI, right? So the idea that there's going to be a generalized intelligence that comes out of this work that effectively, yes, would would sort of invalidate the existence of certain roles and certain jobs. But large language models are not that. Um, they have not demonstrated uh, any of the attributes of AGI yet. Uh, Sam Altman has said specifically he doesn't think that OpenAI is close to releasing anything that you would call an AGI. Mm-hmm. So I think it's probably better to split those two things and say, because um, I think that the sort of philosophical debate about AGI is really interesting. It's like, is that something we should even release if we could build it? Right. But I think large language models are just an advancement of you know machine learning progressing into neural networks and um, some of the stuff I was working on early in my career, it's a distant cousin of the large language model, which is way less impressive and way less sophisticated. So um, from that perspective, this does just feel like we're unlocking value still. We're not necessarily drifting into that world of um, philosophical uh, concerns about like human meaning and life and stuff like that. Uh, That's my personal take on it. Well, it's interesting because that conversation may not be happening in tech, but it's happening everywhere else. <laughs> Very so fair. People are are definitely, uh, you know, wrestling with that. But uh, one other point I wanted to raise with you uh, is about the role of data practitioners and how AI might change, you know, what what they do and what their roles are. Maybe you can elaborate yes. on that a bit. Yeah, so at Roscoe, what we're seeing is there is a huge need to teach the AI about your uh, proprietary data. So within our customers who are looking to enable AI to understand their data and in turn expose those large language models to their less technical colleagues. So in in our case, it's to do things like uh, ad hoc analytics. So, for example, investigating a drop in sales. Um, if if the data team, the data practitioners, have properly documented and structured their data so that AI can understand it, then it really democratizes who can come in and ask those questions about the drops in sales. And that's hugely valuable to the organization because a task that before could only be done by 10 or 25 people in the company can now be done by 500 people. Um, but that requires that kind of upfront investment of okay, let's look at our data model. Let's look at how we collect and structure the data within our data warehouse or our data lake. And then how can we improve that and document it so that when we expose it to AI, the language model kind of understands a little bit of that structure. And when it goes to write queries, those queries can be accurate and they can be validated and they're not too complex. So that's really, from our perspective, the the future of the data practitioner is a lot of the same tasks, but with a different objective in mind, and that'll potentially, you know, tweak some of the the knobs that you'll put into things like 
the star schema or the snowflake schema of how you might um, structure it within, you know, tables uh, and things like that. Interesting. So uh, I, I meant to ask you this earlier, but I got so excited about diving right into the conversation. Tell me a little bit about Roscoe and when you, when you guys started, what exactly it is that you do. Sure. We started three years ago. Uh, our goal from day one was to enable self-service analytics within large enterprises. Um, we see that it's it's always been a buzzword, but never fully realized by these companies. They'll invest heavily in a data warehouse, but then turn around and say, why is no one using it? You know, it's still just being used by our BI tools that we've been using for 20 years. So our goal is to democratize that and make it possible for anyone that understands the data a little bit to ask a meaningful question and get an insight. Um, obviously, with the release of first the DaVinci models from OpenAI and then the wave of, of large language models, our interface has evolved to be fully chat-based over the last year. And that's been a nice unlock because prior to that, our tool required uh, some custom instructions, like teaching the user how to how to leverage it. And now what we see is since the, the advent of, of the chat interface, um, users don't need instruction from us. They're, they're fairly familiar with the interacting with an AI because they've been using chat GPT. And what we're giving them is a, an AI that can perform all the same reasoning and responses, but also write queries and run queries against their data. Mm -hmm. So you get this really powerful combination where you can log in and say something like, what caused a drop in this particular category of products uh, last month versus the same month in the prior year? And the AI will actually walk you through, well, let's investigate if it was a pricing change. Let's look at the quantity sold. Let's look at the number of unique customers purchasing the products. So it's this really powerful uh, kind of interaction that goes on when you let the AI decide what the key drivers might be and then go investigate those and come back with facts. Interesting. So I guess that's what in your platform you're calling the three element loop uh, rather than just a human and AI, but sort of an intermediary platform that can uh, sort of administrate things. Is that, uh, is that correct? Exactly. So the Roscoe API handles the orchestration of calling out to the large language models. Um, it handles the orchestration of interacting with your data warehouse. And then it also serves as a long-term memory store so that we can maintain context about your data across all of these different chat conversations that are happening within the organization. Mm -hmm. So you can, when you're chatting with Roscoe's powered AI, you can say something like, I want you to remember that this customer uh, goes by this acronym and they're very important. They're one of my top five customers. And then in every subsequent conversation that mentions that customer, our API handles looking up that information and giving it, you know, handing it back to the language model. Because obviously they have kind of a short-term memory. What Roscoe does is give it a more long-term memory. Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right. So uh, with just a little bit of time that we have left, uh, I would like to just throw it out to you is, you know, how far do you see AI advancing? I know that it, there's certainly so many benefits uh, to automation and AI in general. Uh, ChatGPT being a certain a great example, but you have automated testing now. You have uh, automation in CI/CD pipelines, all which are very beneficial and not taking a lot of jobs away. How far should this go? How far will it go? You know, what are you seeing as as the future for AI? People, of course, always see this. Uh, you know, end of the world, 
doomsday machines taking over, people being forced underground to live. You know, I don't I don't see that necessarily. Uh, but so, you know, in, in a realistic uh, world, how far do you see AI going? What other areas will it be uh, introduced in? You think? So for me, the most immediate impactful uh, effect of this. So let's just talk about like the next 10 years is going to be the personal assistant. Um, what we've seen is AI is surprisingly good within these large language models at at reasoning through uh, a situation, helping to problem solve, brainstorming, uh, coming up with a solution, and then implementing that solution. And that is what, imagine a personal assistant that you could trust to reason through basic tasks for you that's constantly double checking with you or, or sort of having visibility to like, here's what I'm working on. You can interrupt me if you want to, but if you don't, you know, I'm, I'm just going to keep helping you. That's uh, a huge unlock for productivity. I think, it, you know, that the net of that is going to be that the most productive people within companies in this case, just get more productive. <laughs> they will learn how to use that AI assistant to its best effect their knowledge will be multiplied, right? Because they already have a lot of business context in their mind. They can share it with that assistant. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, I think, um, for the for that near-term horizon, you'll actually just see like increased productivity and a lot of, of gains come out of that. Mm -hmm. I think beyond that 10-year horizon, if we start thinking about, because even um, I think the consensus is starting to build that AGI is at least 10, likely 20 plus years away. Um, Would you define with, that for our listeners who might not be familiar with the term AGI? Sure. Sorry. So artificial generalized intelligence, it's the idea that a single AI-powered entity could essentially become smarter than a human. Mm -hmm. uh, because at that point, you no longer need humans to sort of orchestrate with these AI APIs. Um, you, you could essentially just give it all the context that it needed and it would be able to handle all of that knowledge um, like the human brain and and uh, and you know essentially impersonate or even surpass the the actions of a human. So that that's the AGI concept and um, that's originally how OpenAI got started was the idea of like let's go pursue that. That seems like something really important to go build. And so large language models, uh, what we have today is sort of like an output of that journey. It's just like one milestone on that path. Um, but yeah, as we talked about earlier, AGI raises the philosophical questions as well as the doomsday scenarios. Um, and, and it's not, in my opinion, those, those questions are not raised in the next 10 years because of just what large language models are. They're not uh, approaching any of that behavior. Yeah. So uh, one thing, uh, you know, we have these Turing bots now that are everywhere. Uh, and, uh, you know, it almost seems like companies are thrilled that they have them. It's like, oh, look, we can have, you know, have the, uh, the uh, assistant ask us a lot of questions. Like you call, you have a credit card issue or something, and it wants to know, do you want to pay your bill? Do you have an issue? Are you challenging a charge? You know, whatever it is, did you lose your card, Right. And, and you give it all this information, and then it realizes it needs to transfer you over to a live person who then has to ask you all those same questions. So it's like the AI is always getting ahead of everybody else's systems. You know, that person that I get transferred to should already see all that information I've just given to the assistant, but it doesn't have it yet. So, you know, what's going to, what is it going to take now for organizations to realize, oh, we need to catch our systems up to what we're doing with AI? Ah, absolutely. No, that that kind of confluence of like 
essentially like analog systems coming into digital, we're, we're experiencing that again, right? It's like digital systems coming into contact with AI-based systems. Right. And it's it's funny. Uh, so when we talk about this market, so far, most of the value has accrued to the incumbents, right? So Google, Amazon, Microsoft through OpenAI, mm-hmm. they have, have accrued most of the value of AI um, breakthroughs in the last year. But that those scenarios you're describing, which are more on the application level, my belief is those are where startups and new technologies will be able to accrue a lot of value because the amount of time it takes to rebuild that customer service system to accurately involve AI where it should and ignore it where it shouldn't is probably significantly higher than just starting from scratch and saying, let's reimagine this interaction in an AI-first world. So that's... Um, that's probably the most exciting part of where we are like today is those companies being started this year in the last 12 months. And I think over the next couple of years, we'll see some insane growth as those come in and replace uh, some of the, the current incumbents. Great. Good stuff. Listen, I appreciate your uh, your insights, Patrick. It's uh, an interesting uh, area, which, of course, we'll all be watching uh, as the years uh, continue on. So uh, once again, this is uh, Patrick Darty. He's the CTO and co-founder of uh, Rasco. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Appreciate it.